Good morning. So I want to begin this morning by telling you a story about an athlete named Lex Gillette. Bob Goff, who's an author, writes about Lex in his most recent book, Everybody Always. Uh, and Lex is a long jumper. Now, probably don't need to explain much about the long jump. The name is fairly self-explanatory as to what you're trying to do. But what's important for today is not just what the event is, but the mechanics of how it works. If you've ever seen the long jump, maybe in the Olympics or something, what happens is, is that there's an athlete, so don't picture me, but picture an actual athlete who is on one end of a long, narrow runway. This runway is about three feet wide and about uh, over 100 feet long. And what this athlete has to do is to start at one end and they run as fast as they can down the runway and there's a mark at the other end and when they get to that mark, they have to jump as far as they can into a gigantic sand pit and the sand cushions their fall, okay? What's interesting about Lex Gillette is that he is legally blind and has been since he's seven years old. Now you can imagine if we took one of these aisles and we narrow it down to about three feet and then I invited a brave volunteer to come up here and we blindfolded you and then said, now run as fast as you can and keep going straight. How long is it gonna be before we crash into the chairs? Probably not very long. Bob Goff writes that Lex indeed has had a number of mishaps as he's competed as a long jumper. He said that he's had moments where he has run sideways and run off of the runway before he even gets to the track, uh, the end of the track, and has crashed into other competitors, and he has crashed into equipment and injured himself and equipment. He said that he's had moments where he made it down to the end of the track, but he was sort of pointed a little bit to the side, and so when he jumped, he missed the sand pit and actually landed. He's injured himself in competitions by missing the sand. But he has continued to work at it and continued to work at it, and he has become internationally accomplished. And in the last four Paralympic Games, he has won the silver medal each and every time. Now, how in the world does someone who's blind compete in the long jump? Well, what Lex does, he has a coach that he's worked with for years who he trusts, and the coach brings him to the one end of the runway, and the coach stay, kind of centers his shoulders to be pointed straight forward, and then the coach leaves him there, and the coach walks down to the other end of the runway to the mark where he has to jump, and the coach stands in the middle of the runway, and he calls out Lex's name. He says, Lex, and then he waits for a second, and he says, Lex, and he waits for a second. And he says, Lex. Now, each time he's listening, the Lex is listening and centering on that voice. And you can imagine this in the middle of a Paralympic game with other events going on and a PA announcer and people clapping, that he's listening for that one voice to tune into it so that when he hears it, he can have a sense of the direction that he's supposed to be going. And when Lex feels ready, his coach one time will call Lex again, and Lex will respond by saying, ready. And when he says that, the coach steps to the side, so he's not on the runway anymore, but he stays exactly at the mark where Lex has to jump, and he begins clapping like this. And Lex hears the clapping, and he starts to run. And he runs down the runway as fast as he can, focusing on the clap, and as he gets closer to the front, the coach's clapping and rhythm increases, and it gets faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And when Lex hits the point where he's supposed to jump, the coach yells, fly! And when Lex hears fly, he jumps as far as he can, and he has won the silver medal at the last four Paralympic Games, over 16 years competing in this event. 
So we read this passage today as we go into the next portion of this journey through Luke that we're going to be on here at Covenant for a while. I'd like you to consider something today. I'd like you to consider that for all of us, we have a thought about what our life is going to look like, a plan of what our day is going to look like. We like being type A people. We like being goal-oriented. We like being on task. We like being responsible. We like knocking things off of our to-do list. But what I'd like to suggest to you today is what the scriptures say is that God has a vision for our life that is greater than anything we could ask or imagine. And that one of the most important things in life is starting to listen for that voice that might be calling us at the end of the runway saying, Jill, Bob, Kelly. And to consider it might be a voice that's calling us in a direction that we weren't expecting. And to believe that God is doing this in each of our lives and inviting us to go on a journey that might look very different than our own plans and that there will be a moment when God will say to each of us, now fly. And we have to choose whether we listen to that voice, whether we trust it, or whether we're so certain of what our life's supposed to look like, we ignore it. And you know what we are then? Fine. We're just fine. We see an example of this in the scripture passage from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And I'd like you to just... Take this in and keep this image of Lex in your head as we look at it today. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, no matter who we are or how we walk in here, I pray this morning we would hear your voice and your clap calling to each of us. May we listen and maybe even follow. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, friends, to understand the power of this passage, we have to kind of separate truth and reality, historical truth and reality, from religious tradition and religious sentimentality, okay? Because when we think about the story of Gabriel and Mary, we can often get in our head like Christmas pageants, right? Like children's Christmas pageants. We've either seen or we've been in, and we kind of do some of this here at Covenant on Christmas Eve in one of our services, and it's great, and it's awesome, and it's a really good thing. And if you think about those things, usually what that involved is we wonder who gets the part of of Gabriel, 
who's going to get that part? And who gets the part of Mary, right? And then the parents dress out, but we invite the grandparents to come, and we all show up, and we take photographs, and we kind of work out the costumes, and we have the, the little wings for Gabriel, and we take coat hangers, and we like mold them into a wing shape, right? And we put tinsel around it, and we make a little halo. And then in the moment of the Christmas pageant, Gabriel stands up, and the parents are like, oh, you know, the halo's still on, and the wings are still there, and like one of them's like hanging down, but it's like, it's okay, we've made it, and people take pictures, and and then Mary's there, and Mary, for some reason, always has her hair covered, and it's always in blue. Have you noticed that? I have no idea why it's blue. It's nothing in the Bible that Mary was in blue, but every little pageant, she's in blue, she's got this thing, and Mary stands up, and it's this moment, it's, oh, it's like, great, and everybody remembered their line, and she gets this little baby, and it's great. That's the religious sentimentality. The reality of what this moment was actually like could not have been more different. Mary was most likely a teenager, an unwed teenager who's engaged to be married to Joseph. And then Gabriel kind of comes into her life and essentially says to her news that is going to make her life harder and more difficult than probably what she would have picked to live on her own. Because you see, we can't assume that people back then were just like wandering around every day going, I wonder who an angel's going to appear to today, right? Like you and I don't begin our day. Let's not be patronizing of people 2,000 years ago thinking that they just woke up every day going, uh, you know, I wonder who's going to get, you know, pregnant today and, and who's going to have the Messiah. Let's like look around. Who's it going to be? Who's the angel going to appear to? It was, as, it was as unexpected to Mary as it would be to you and I, okay? We, we don't want to have this kind of patronizing viewpoint of history, which many times we do in our society today. Well, people back then. Right? It's like, no, they were really intelligent people, right? And they understood how life worked. So Mary finds out that she's pregnant, and here's the best case scenario in her mind that she probably has. The best case scenario when Gabriel talks to her is, you are going to be an outcast and shun for the rest of your life. Joseph, your engagement is over. The life you thought you were going to lead is finished. Your parents may disown you. The friends that you have are going to walk away from you. As an as a unwed, pregnant woman, that was the best case scenario that was going to emerge from what Gabriel told her. The worst case scenario is that she was going to be stoned to death, which by the law she could have been for being pregnant before she's married. This is what the reality was. And it's that reality we have to sit in when we hear the remarkable words of this young teenager when she looks at Gabriel and says these words, here am I, a servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. The power and majesty of those words coming from that young lady should inspire all of us. What she was essentially doing was hearing the voice of God at the other end of the one way, starting to clap for her and starting to beckon her to follow and to charge forward down. And Mary had the ability to leave behind what she thought her life was going to be and to trust and to start charging forward, running down the runway. And we have to separate the religious sentimentality for us when we engage this passage. Because for many of us, what church represents is we want it to be a safe place. Oh, it's a safe place. It's a place where we have these traditions. It's kind of, I just feel like this is my, my safe spot when I come in and it's great and it teaches my children like values and rules and, uh, and, and, and teaches us to be good people. Well, yes, but, but church is not meant to like bubble wrap your life to just make it really safe and really predictable. That's not what faith is about. We hope that you'll become nicer and more loving and more generous as you follow Jesus, but none of those are our goals. We are not a community, when we talk about our vision statement, that is encouraging one another to become more moral. 
We're not encouraging one another to follow more rules. We're encouraging one another to follow Jesus. And as we see here with Mary, when Jesus gets involved in your life, it is the opposite of having your life bubble-wrapped and safe and predictable. And the question is, do we listen to the voice of God calling us or not? One of the things that we do in our life is that we want control. A lot of us want control. All of us want control in different ways. It's as old as scripture. We see that in the Garden of Eden. And so Christians throughout the centuries have said, we've got to find this way of how do we sort of look at God like Mary and what would it be like for you and I every day to go, here am I, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And so one of the things Christians have sought to do over time is sometimes they talk about how they posture their bodies, how they posture themselves in prayer to remember what it means to live like Mary. For example, the Franciscan monks used to have this idea and what they would talk to the people in their order about is they said, this is how you're supposed to live every day. Every day you are to imagine you're standing up and you're to stand, and, and you gotta look quick because I can't do this for long, but you stand on one leg and you're supposed to have your other leg ready to step in whatever direction God might be calling you to step. They said, every day imagine yourself poised to take a step. And the question is, where does God want you to go? That's how they said we're supposed to live every day. Here am I, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Or where uh, a friend and mentor of mine says that the way he used to pray when he was facing decisions was he would pray by extending his arms while he was praying and having his hands open and his palms up, saying, Lord, I am praying for your direction. Put into my hands what you want to put in. Take out of my hands what you want to take out. Here am I, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. The, the way we posture even our bodies while we pray can remind us that for most of us, the way we pray is with clenched fists. Most of the time, the way we pray is like uh, is Santa Claus prayers, right? I need this, and my kids need this, and my neighbor needs this, and everybody needs this, and so will you show up and do these things that we want you to do? And what my friend said is he realized that he started praying this way all the time because instead of just praying when he needed God to lead him on something, he said what he realized as he got older is that the way he needed to pray all the time is like, Lord, I want to take control every moment. Put in my hands what you want to put in. Prayer is a lot more about listening than it is speaking. Now, and this is a very legitimate question that might be running around in some of your heads, and it comes up, and it's not a bad question, it's a good one, is there will be people right now who are sitting there thinking it's like, that would be awesome. I've got some decisions I need to make in my life, and I would love it if an angel showed up and told me what to do, right? Like Mary had an angel show up and say, this is, what you're, this is what's going to happen, and Mary responded, I'm looking at this decision in front of me, and I'm struggling with it, and it's like, God, well, what do you want me to do? And there's no angel coming, and it's really confusing, and what am I supposed to do? How do we think about this? What can we take away from this passage so, as we live our lives? Well, if you've been at Covenant before, you will know that my preaching style is a little different. I, I like to have one-point sermons, okay? Just like one thing we think about. Um, classic preaching, the way we're taught in seminary, is that there's three points. We have a classic three-point sermon, and usually it's an alliteration, and all the points start with the same letter, so you'll remember it. I know you don't remember it. I know you don't remember the three points. I just hope you remember one when you leave. That's why I just sort of try to have one thing to go at. But I can't fit this into one. We're not going three. We're compromising. We're going two. Okay? There's two things today if you're in that position. And when we're in that position of like, God, I'm listening for you. I don't know what you want me to do. How do we learn to listen for the voice of God? How do we live more like Mary here? Believing that if we listen to God's voice, we can live in a way that is bigger than anything we could ask or imagine on our own. The first thing is this. 
first thing I invite you to consider and consider doing in your life is that if you are fixated on something that is not working out and you don't know what God wants you to do, number one, I have found over and over and over again that people who are good at discerning and hearing the voice of God are people who practice that on a daily basis. What we do is that when we get to a point where we need a decision, we're like, okay, God, I'm listening. But nothing in life works that way where it's like, I'm not listening, not listening, not listening. Now I need you to hear. Now I need to hear you. And then we become good at it. People who are good at hearing the voice of God in a moment are people who practice that on a daily basis. I don't believe that God, I don't believe Mary was perfect, but I also believe that God wasn't just kind of looking around in Nazareth going, I don't know, who's a teenager? Uh, We'll go with her. What's her name again? Mary. Sure. Let's give her Jesus, right? I think there was something in Mary's life that God saw a pattern that even as this really hard news arose, that he had a sense that Mary might choose the path of going, here am I, a servant of the Lord. As unbelievable as that response is people who are good at hearing and following the voice of God practice that on a daily basis and what we want is often in our world we still want control so we want like a genie in a bottle we want God to come out when we tell God to come out and then we say now answer this question for me and then I want you to go back and I don't want you to have input on any of the other stuff people who are good at hearing the voice of God practice it on a daily basis so for example one of the things that I know many of times we pray about is like, well, what college am I supposed to go to? Or what job should I have? It's like, God, I want a job that's going to feel like it's passionate. I don't want to just feel like I'm sort of going through the motions and just earning money. I want to have something I believe in. And so what should I do about this? And we get frustrated when God doesn't answer us in the time frame we want. Now, what God might be saying is going, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about how you think about uh, income. Let's think about how you to use your money. Let's talk about all these things God... God, I am not interested in what you say I'm supposed to do with my money. I just want the job. Just show me this. Well, you're called to extravagant generosity. Ah, I'll take care of my money. I don't need your input on that. I just need you to answer this one question and do it. How are you supposed to spend my time? God, I can't hear what you're supposed to say. Why won't you speak to me? Well, there's all these opportunities. You pray on a daily basis. We just had a half-day silent retreat yesterday where we go and listen. What does it mean to start learning rhythms, to be a part of a cohort where you start learning of ways of praying as we go through? I don't have time to do any of that. I just need you to speak right now. Here's the thing, friends. There are some mysterious questions in life. I have things today I'm wondering what God wants me to do. I get that. But... The vast majority, like 90% of what God wants us to do with our life is not mysterious. It's abundantly clear. We just don't listen. People who are good at hearing the voice of God practice that on a daily basis. Like a great musician doesn't just pick up a violin or a guitar and just starts playing. They practice every day. You will have a really hard time hearing God's voice calling to you if you don't listen most of the time. And then you're just going to be fine. God wants so much more for our life than that. So that's number one. We have to constantly be asking ourselves the question, am I listening through prayer? Am I listening in worship? Am I listening on a daily basis? But here's the second thing. Number one is this. If we want to hear the voice of God, we'll practice it regularly. But number two is... The voice of God and the call of God is rarely on the question that we're becoming consumed with. Mary did not wake up this day, I'm willing to bet, did not wake up this day going, what am I going to do today? I know, I'd like to become a part of God's plan for redeeming creation. How can I do that? Let me ask God that question. Mary was just going about her day. 
And then all of a sudden, God's call to her is over here saying, I am interrupting your life, and I want you to do something completely different than what you thought. God's calling is something we will miss, and the voice is something we will miss when we are staring at this thing going, this is what I need you to answer, and I don't get it. And God's going, I see that. There's this whole other world I want to talk to you about here. And we're like, nope, this is where I am, and I just need you to be here. God's calling to Mary comes completely out of the blue. And so number one, we have to be able to listen to the voice of God on a daily basis. Number two, we need to be people who understand that the call of God is not often going to follow our agenda because when we tell God the conversation we need to have, that's just us playing God. And God's going, no, no, no. No, I want to redirect this whole conversation over here. So are you open? One of my, one, a, a wonderful story that I heard about recently from a young woman that joined our church recently uh, named Sarah uh, spoke to me a lot about this. Uh, Sarah is uh, new to our congregation, pretty new to our congregation, and she's a young person that uh, faith has, uh, in the last few years, really started becoming more and more alive to her. Not just these kind of religious rules and like, God makes my life safe and everything's going to be okay and I'm so nice because I go to church now. Like, she's really opening up, like, God is speaking and moving in all these kinds of ways and, and just broadening life. Right? Life is just getting bigger all the time as she steps toward in, uh, towards faith. And one day she was in this service, uh, and in the middle of the service, and so you know, every time you come in here, you never know what may happen. In the middle of this service about a year ago, she was in the middle of worship, and she really believed that God said to her, you need to start a prayer ministry in your office. And she said, that is a terrible idea. That is a terrible idea. There is nothing about faith in my office. I do not want to be one of those kinds of Christians that everybody looks at. I am probably going to do it wrong. I've never been to seminary. I've never started a prayer ministry before. And she said, but as she was sitting there, God was like, no, I really, you're, you're supposed to start a prayer ministry in your office. And she said, no. But she came back to worship next week. As we practice listening to God on a daily basis, God's voice will become more and more real. And she kept showing up, and she kept going to Bible study, and she kept going to a uh, meeting with a small group, and she kept being a part. She joined a cohort, and she started becoming a part of this. And she said, I would pray, or I would read the Bible at home, and this voice kept coming to me. Not like two or three weeks. Over nine months, she kept saying no to this idea that God wanted her to do it. And finally, one day, after nine months of this voice getting stronger and stronger and stronger, she's like, no, I want to know about this. And God's like, no, I got this whole thing over here. If if you'll just listen to me. She said, finally, she said, okay, God, if I'm going to do this, you have to make it abundantly clear because there is no way HR is going to go for this at all. The human resources will shut this down in a minute. And the next day, she went to her office and got on the elevator in the morning to go up. And the only other person in the elevator was the director of human resources, was there on the elevator. And she said, dang it. And then turned and said, Listen, this is probably a no, but I just wanted to ask, would you be open to us having a prayer ministry here? Now, this is an office of hundreds and hundreds of employees. And the director of HR said, yeah, if you want to do that, you can totally go ahead with it. You can post stuff on the, on the online bulletin board. You can let other people know about it. You just find a conference room when it's free, and you can use it. And once again, Sarah said, dang it, that is completely the wrong answer that I was looking for. I wanted you to shut this down. And so she did it. She posted on the online. She found a free time Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And she put it on the online bulletin board. Um, we're going to have a 30-minute time for prayer. She said when she put it, all her other work colleagues that she worked around, none of them talked to her about it. They all knew about it. Nobody, I mean, she became that Christian for many of them. 
She said that when the day came, Thursday at 2 o'clock for their first prayer meeting, she said she got up from her desk, and she was walking in the conference room, and people were looking at her, and nobody's getting up. And she went to the conference room door, and she opened it, and she walked inside, and nobody was there. Nobody. She said that when she was walking there, she, and I love this expression, she said she could feel her heart beat in her ears. You know what that means? Like you're so nervous about something. And she said that she was just kind of crestfallen that nobody was there. But she said she sat down and she had this list of things that they were going to pray for in a group and she said, well, I guess I'll just do it today and start praying myself. And a few minutes into the prayer, all of a sudden the door opened. And a person came walking in, a guy that works in her office. And as he walked in, he started crying. His wife had just left him a couple of days before, completely unexpectedly. He said, would you pray for me? And she said, there's nobody else that showed up. But they sat down, the two of them together, and she started praying for him. And he started praying for her. The next week they came back and prayed again. The next week they came back and prayed again. And then the next week when they came, a third person was there, a woman whose husband has very real anger issues. And she was trying to figure out what she was supposed to do. And she asked, would they pray for her? And so they started praying for her. And still to this day, every Thursday at 2 o'clock, the three of them in this company, hundreds of people who choose not to come, the three of them are praying for each other. And she said it has become one of the most special things that exists in her life. Now, is the answer that all of us are supposed to go start prayer ministries in our office? No, that's not the point. The point is she heard that voice and listened. She started to learn that life was about living with one foot up in the air, saying, God, if you want me to step here, I'll step. It's about holding your hands open and saying, here am I, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. I want to trust that voice. I want to listen. I want to believe that God has something great for my life and is at the end of the runway calling my name and inviting me forward. I want more out of life than just being fine. I want to follow. Because if Mary had said no, nobody remembers her. But 2,000 years later, we're giving thanks for her example to us today. And what I believe is that voice is calling for you and me. So here's what I'd like to invite us to this week. I'd like us to invite us to consider our posture as we pray this week as we go through Advent. We have Advent devotions. I'm sure Jill mentioned this. There's some that are available as you leave today. They're daily devotions you can have. Uh, they're online as well. And part of that devotion is that there's a prayer. Or maybe you pray on your own, in your own way. And I invite you to think about the posture of your prayer this week. If you're really bold, you'll pray like the Franciscans. You'll go on one leg. Because we posture ourselves to remember, it's like, Lord, I want to hear from you a whole lot more than talk at you. Where do you want me to step? Here am I, a servant of the Lord. But what might be a little safer is if when you prayed this week every day, you pray with your arms out, with your hands up and your palms out, saying, Lord, before I start talking at you, put in what you want to put in. Take out what you want to take out. Here am I, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And friends, I believe if that happens, you might just hear the voice of God that will change your life forever. Amen? Amen. So here's how we're going to close. We're going to have one last song, but I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to close in a prayer. And if you're comfortable, I just invite you to pray with your arms out and your palms up. And then we'll close with one last song of worship. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are a people 
that desire control because we believe we know what is best, but we encourage one another to follow you. That we sit here today and say that we want to become a part of a bigger story than ourselves. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this week. May we marvel at the words of Mary, but may they become our words that come from deep within our hearts saying, here am I today in Austin, Texas, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And as you look at each of our lives, Lord, I pray that for every person here, you would put into their life what you want to put in. You would take out what you want to take out and that we would trust in your voice that as we run forward, we'll say to each of us now, fly. We pray we would hear you. In Jesus' name, amen.